Well, good morning, and I want to wish you all a happy new year. Glad that uh, you're here. I think it's, in a way, it's a great thing that the first day of the year is the first day of the week, which is the day that we celebrate our risen Lord. So we're beginning this year in His house, in a sense, praising Him and worshiping. John told us in his gospel that we love Him because He first loved us. Let's stand together and, and sing about His love for us this morning.
with me. Father, we are happy to be here. We know that we're here because you acted first on our behalf. It would, had it not been for your grace, for your love, for your intervention in our history, uh, that we would never have come to put faith in you. Thank you for that. Thank you for bringing us under the sound of the gospel. And I pray this morning as we worship you that we would see you in a fresh way and that what you hear from our lips would reflect what is truly in our hearts. We give this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. Everything 
saw you. Now you're holding your age well. A special welcome to any who may be visiting with us this morning. We'd like to encourage you to read the paragraph at the top of the inside page of the bulletin. It gives you a little instruction. We hope that will be helpful. And one heads up on an item that is in there. It asks you to find a welcome card in the pew rack in front of you. If you fill that out and put that in the offering plate, then we can acknowledge your visit by letter. We'd appreciate being able to do that. Also, if your row hasn't passed the friendship pad, if you would do that back and forth and make sure that you note the names that are there so that we can be learning each other's names. Also, we encourage you to attend Bible school after this service, as we do every week. There are some very nice people at the Welcome Center in the back, so if you have any questions about what would be the best class for you or for your family, they'll be glad to help you with that. In the bulletin, you'll find AUC Connect. Please read that if you would like to be connected tonight. At 6.30, we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. We're also going to have a hymn slash carol sing. So if your favorite carol wasn't sung during the Christmas season, you have one last chance tonight. We hope you'll take advantage of that and and be a part of our service. Saturday Women's Bible Study resuming this Saturday, so you can get the details in AUC Connect with regard to that. We're going to be led in prayer now by Pastor Ed. Happy New Year. So far, this is the best day of the year, isn't it? And it's only going to get better. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you for this new day. You share that your mercies are new every day. They're, they're new this year. We want to thank you for this past year, for your greatness, for your presence in, your, in our lives. And a song we just sang, everything that's good is found in you. So we want to thank you for your personal interaction in our life, for your protection, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your, for your guidance in the years in the year past. Father, we just want to thank you for all you've done. And some of us, when we come to know you this year, we know that uh, they're going to grow in their walk with you. Another of us have known you for a long time, and we would ask, Lord, you would draw us, each of us, closer to you this year, renew our mind, Show us new glimpses of your goodness. Guide our thoughts. Deliver us from temptation and chase Satan away from us. Keep us from sinning against you and fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen our faith. Fill us with the joy of our salvation. And, Father, as we walk with you, we ask that we walk uprightly. You would guide us and strengthen us in every way. And Father, for many of those who have lost loved ones this, this past year, we pray for comfort and we pray for peace. 
You have physically strengthened so many of us in our bodies. And we, th- we want to thank you, Father, for helping so many. We think of Linda and Loretta and Dave and Ruby, Phyllis, Fran, Dan, Karen, John, Sue, Cheryl, Dick, Jim. And the list goes on and on. You've just helped so many of us. We are so grateful. And Father, many of our body are not even here today because they're not able to. Pray that you would touch them and those within the, within our within our body here. We pray that they're they're ill. Lord, touch them, encourage them as they struggle. Lord, we pray that our focus would be on you and that you would heal them. And Father, we pray for our church body. We ask that you would seek you would help us. We seek you as we search for a senior pastor, for a youth pastor to lead us. We pray, Lord, you would give guidance and that you would give peace and wisdom and discernment for those on the search committee. Give them clarity of thought as they review candidates. We pray for the men who will fill these positions. We pray, Lord, that you would give them a heart for you. We pray for their families, Lord, that they would be families that would represent Jesus Christ in our midst. We pray for a burden on them for your word, for a compassion and caring spirit, for a fervent love for this church family, even before they come here. Lord, we pray you would would guide the right person to fill these positions. We pray, Lord, you would bless our outreach outreach programs. You expand our outreach here in Alden and throughout the world. Give us the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with those around us. And, Father, we pray that they would come, and they would come to know you, and we'd have the opportunity to disciple them in their walk with you. We pray for our country. Pray for the president-elect and for those in political offices. We pray for unity, for peace. Father, we pray for the world. The world needs you desperately. And we ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself in many ways. You would open hearts. You would draw people to yourself. Lord, that people would give you glory and honor and praise, not only here in our church, but in the churches within this community, within this, within this state, within this country, throughout the world, that they would give you glory and praise as we've already sung. And, Father, we pray that we would just you would use the offering we're about ready to give. You've been so steadfast in our love your love towards us. Help us to be steadfast in our giving. We pray you would use this offering to glorify your name in this body and and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. The past few weeks during Advent, we considered, we sang about, we reflected on Israel's hope of the coming Messiah. We sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But now we, the church, the bride of Christ, are looking forward to his coming again as our bridegroom. And as we reflect on that, would you sing with us?
children that are going to children's worship, kids' worship, be dismissed at this time. John in his epistle says this, that he who has this hope, that is the hope of the return of Christ, purifies himself. And uh, it's great to look forward to the Lord's return, but we want to be ready personally for that. And I'd like to read from Psalm 15 some verses that Tell us from an Old Testament perspective how we can be that ready. O Lord, 
Who will sojourn in your tent? Who will dwell on your holy hill? And then there's, these are the answers. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. He who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose isle a vile person is despised, but those who, but he honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved and will meet the Lord with joy. Let's stand again and sing a song that asks God to work on our hearts inside and change us from the inside out.
Let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we sing these songs, we offer them to you as prayers quite often. We don't take them lightly. We don't sing just because we like the music. We sing because the music and the message work together and they speak to us. And we trust that they speak thoughts from us to you. So help us now as we look to your word that these songs have already reinforced where we're headed. May each one of us catch what it is that you through your Holy Spirit want us to, to grasp from this word this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're considering this morning a promise reminder. Have you ever heard words similar to these? But Dad, you promised. I've heard them a few times during my lifetime. Or, Honey, you promised we could. Anybody hear, hear words like that? Okay, I'm not, I'm not alone. People sometimes need to remind us of promises we've made to them, or they need to be convinced of our intention to keep the promises, and I call this with collateral reinforcement. You know, it's not enough for us just to say, I promise. We've got to say, and I'm aging myself here because some of you have never heard this expression, but cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. How many of you have heard that expression before? Okay. Yeah, that's what I call collateral reinforcement. It's not good enough for me to say, I promise, but I've got to add something to it. We tend to forget sometimes. We tend to forget even the most important things. We even forget promises that we've made to God. And we need to be reminded. That's what this morning is all about. First Sunday of the new year is a great time to remind ourselves of promises that we as members of Alden Union Church have made to each other and before the Lord. Those promises, we've collected together some of them, and we call it our church covenant. The covenant is something that should be treated very seriously. Now, if you're not a member of Alden Union Church, it's still a great covenant still a good collection of promises to look at and to remind ourselves because they're all taken from God's Word. The church covenant is not a list of bylaws and guidelines and legalistic regulations concocted by people who somehow feel they want to control and organize others according to their own pattern. That's not what the church covenant is all about. It's a prioritized list of biblical commands which have already been given to us by God. We've emphasized some of them which help to ensure a church has everything in place to be able to grow in Christ and to reach out to the world. And we've put them all in one place under one cover called our church covenant. What we really have before us are a series of spiritual disciplines, things that are very, very important. And don't ever let anybody tell you that spiritual disciplines are unimportant. Don't ever let anybody tell you that as soon as you start stressing something that we should be doing that's good for us, good for our spiritual growth, that it's all a part of legalism. It's not legalism at all. It's something that is very, very healthy for us. In your sermon outline in the bulletin this morning, you have a copy of the church covenant. If you will make reference to that, I'd like to read that right now and make a couple of comments as we go through there. This is what members of Alden Union Church have promised to do. I promise in dependence upon the grace of God 
Now, let me stop there for just a moment. Understand that this is not a promise based on our good intentions. It's not based on our willpower or our resolve or our flesh, if you want to put it that way. It's based on dependence on the grace of God. So I promise in dependence upon the grace of God to regularly attend the public worship of God in this church, to especially set apart Sunday for corporate worship and devotion to God, to be faithful in private devotions and to strive in all things to honor my Lord and Savior by a life consistent with the Word of God. Furthermore, I promise to sustain the local and worldwide ministry of this church by praying for its progress, by contributing to its financial support, and by participating in its work as God enables me. I promise to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to strive to glorify him in all that I am and all that I do. Now, for some of you who know your Bibles, as we read through there, verses should be coming to your mind. We didn't make any of this up. There are verses that could be attached to literally every expression in that covenant. In other words, once again, it's not something that we made up. It's something that God made up. And what we've done is to collect some of them to help us as church members to be able to be reminded of them very, very often. So first, let's remind ourselves of what it means when we say, I promise. And especially when I promise to God. It carries with it the strength of a vow. And now, if you will, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 21. I want us to be sure that we take seriously a promise that we make to God and a promise that we make to each other. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, beginning with verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So basically what it's saying is that if you make a vow to the Lord, keep it. It's better not to make the vow than to make it and not keep it because that would be sinning against the Lord. Now, please understand that doesn't mean that that should scare you away from making the vow. What it means is that now that I've made that vow, even that vow itself will strengthen my resolve to keep it because I've made that promise and I take that promise seriously. And it's something that is important. If these things weren't important, they wouldn't be a part of our church covenant. So in dependence on the grace of God, remember again, that's how we start out the covenant. In dependence upon the grace of God, this is not independently, it's not arrogantly. We intend to keep our promise, but we understand I can do all things through him and that him is Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So don't be afraid to make a vow, but if you do make that vow, then keep it, intend to keep it. If you're not ready to keep it, then don't make it. Now, let's look at the essential promises that we made to God, having to do with six major areas of our lives, represented by six key thoughts in our covenant. And one of those is with regard to church. Another is with regard to the Lord's Day. Another one to devotions, if you want to call it that, or a quiet time or our time with the Lord. Obedience, support, and that would be the support of the church, as well as priority. What is the priority in our lives? 
So first of all, with church, I promise to regularly attend the public worship of God in this church. I'm going to spend half the message on this one. One of the reasons being that we just changed a word in this, and there were some who were concerned that we're softening on our stance of the importance of corporate worship. And I want to show each one of you that we're not softening on that at all. There's something significant in corporate worship. When it comes to church life, no person is an island. That was never God's intention. Sometimes you'll hear somebody, and it sounds very pious, to say, all I really need is the Lord and my Bible. I don't need anybody else. I don't need the hassle of relationships. I don't need to be a part of something other than myself and God. The two of us are all that I need, and we'll get along just fine. The only problem with that thinking is that it's thoroughly unbiblical. It goes against the grain of what the Scripture teaches over and over again. If you will turn to Hebrews chapter 10, I know you know these two verses, but I'd love for us to see and be reinforced with the verses as well as to hear them. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Because when we get right down to it, even the promises that we make in a church covenant are secondary to our heart's attitude toward obedience to God's word. Our church covenant, even though it draws on Scripture, is not pure Scripture, but this is, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And here's what it says. And let us consider how to stir up. Some of your translations will say spur on. Others will say stimulate. Some may say provoke. One may say motivate. So consider all these synonyms together. And let us consider how to stir up, spur on, stimulate, provoke, motivate. If I make a translation, I'm going to put the words words cattle prod in there. Um, Let us consider how to cattle prod one another to love and good works. And how is that done, at least in part? Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, But encouraging one another, now note this, great on a New Year's Day, and all the more as you see the day, day capitalized, drawing near. And so whatever you want to say about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a year closer than it was last year. And it could be this day, this week, could be this year, but we're closer. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, here's something that I'd like to observe, and I think that you will agree with me. There are too many rationalizations that allow us to attend church services sporadically, irregularly, haphazardly, or when we feel like it. There are too many excuses, too many rationalizations Too many excuses for not regularly worshiping together. So we find that people no longer have a commitment to the church, no longer have a regular balanced diet of the study of God's Word. But not only that, they have no sense of how vital their attendance is for the rest of the body. They're spiritually gifted to serve each other, but they cheat themselves and others by having no commitment to the body on a regular basis. No consistent, continuing, covenantal commitment. I was talking with a dear lady earlier, and it's difficult for her to get to be with us. She travels a long way. It's tough to make the steps. It's tough to make, especially when the weather is bad. And she's here, and I wanted to encourage her, and I want to publicly encourage her right now that 
She ministers to each one of us every time she makes that effort to be here. And, and that's part of what it means. Not neglecting to meet together is, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Part of that encouragement should be for us what we get out of it, but it's for what we give and what others get who are encouraged by the fact that we're here regularly. And that regularly means whenever we can be, whenever it's plausible for us to be here. I saw an article that came out in March of this last year. It's called Your Single Most Important Habit. It was written by David Mathis, and I'm going to read some excerpts from it. He starts out talking about habits and how important it is to have good habits. And then he says, I do want to speak up on behalf of one weekly habit that is utterly essential to any healthy, life-giving, joy-producing Christian walk, and that would be corporate worship. And it is all too often neglected or taken very lightly in our day of disembodiment and our proclivity for being noncommittal. I do not think it is too strong to call corporate worship the single most important habit of the Christian life. We may think it's a new temptation today to play fast and loose with corporate worship, but the book of Hebrews gives another impression. Actually, speaking of habits, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, which are the verses that we just read, is the only use of the word habit in our English translations of the New Testament. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. We don't want to get into a bad habit that some people have, and he goes on to mention that. By clearly delineating a bad habit that we must not develop, neglecting to meet together, Hebrews is also making clear what good habit we should cultivate and feed, meeting together. Today's temptation to underestimate the importance of the weekly assembly is as old as the church itself. And yet the great irony is that the habit of meeting together with Christ's people to worship him is utterly crucial for the Christian life. He goes on to say, the reason corporate worship may be the single most important Christian habit and our greatest weapon in the fight for joy is because like no other single habit, corporate worship combines all three essential principles of God's ongoing supply of grace for the Christian life. Hearing his voice is one of them in his word. Having his ear in prayer and belonging to his body in the fellowship of the church. And so he concludes, settle it now. Make it a habit. Corporate worship is too important to revisit each weekend and wrestle. Will I go this weekend or sit this one out? If you leave it open-ended, as many do, excuse after excuse will keep you from the storehouses of God's grace that's open in corporate worship. Over time, your soul will become dry and shallow because of it. Neglecting to meet together will soon sow and nourish seeds of unbelief in your soul. Decide now and begin putting it as a pattern into your life, not to revisit the decision each weekend and not to bow out on community group because of lame, myopic excuses. Of course, unusual circumstances will arise when you're out of town or at the hospital with a new baby or something else manifestly restricting. But the sad truth is we are far too prone to give ourselves a pass on meeting together when we really should have made it a habit ahead of time. 
entertaining only the rarest of exceptions. And just to be sure, the reason to make corporate worship a habit is not to check the box on perfect attendance and not because corporate worship alone is enough to fully power the Christian life and not because mere attendance in worship will save your soul. This is not a call for legalistic going through the motions. The hope is not just to show up and be a shell. Rather, this is a summons to harness the power of habit to rescue our souls from empty excuses that keep us from spiritual riches and increasing joy. Negligence and chronic minimizing of the importance of corporate worship reveal something unhealthy and scary in our souls. Let's resist it with fresh resolve. I kept that article for half a year because I wanted to share it at some point, and this is very, very appropriate to our discussion this morning. Church, I promise to regularly attend the public worship of God in this church. Let me ask you a question. Do any of these things sound familiar? And what I'm going to do is run a parallel behind the excuses that people use for not going to church and the excuses that you don't hear very often at sporting events. So here's what somebody has written. The reasons why I'm giving up sports, football in the fall, baseball in the summer, basketball in the winter, I've had it. I quit attending sports once and for all, and here are my 11 reasons or 11 excuses. I hope you see a parallel between this and church attendance because I've heard many of these excuses for people not coming to church. Every time I went, they asked for money. I just at random picked a football. Those of you that can't see the screen, it's just an offer to buy tickets for a particular football team from our state. The second thing, the people I sat next to didn't seem friendly. Again, if you can't see the screen, it's a picture of some football fans in the city of Brotherly Shove, and they're not behaving very well toward each other. The next one, the seats were too hard and not comfortable at all picture of bleacher seats that have a statute of limitations on one's anatomy of about three minutes before you begin to get uncomfortable, but they don't seem to care about it if there's a basketball game or a volleyball game or something else going on in that gym. Here's another excuse that people use. I went to many games, but the coach never came to call on me. Or I'm giving up sports because the referees made decisions that I couldn't agree with. The game went into overtime, and I was late getting home. That doesn't happen at our church. I have not gone overtime this whole year. The band played numbers I'd never heard before, and it wasn't my style of music. It seems the games are always scheduled when I want to do other things. I suspect that I was sitting next to some hypocrites. They came to see their friends, and they talked during the whole game. I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was growing up. I hate to wait in the traffic jam in the parking lot after the game. You wouldn't hear people saying that, that they've given up sports for that. You will hear people saying that about church. My favorite is still the account. It appeared in the Nashville banner about 81-year-old Ella Craig, who had perfect attendance in Sunday school for 20 years. That's 1,040 Sundays. The article raised these questions. Doesn't Mrs. Craig ever have company on Sunday to keep her away from church? 
Doesn't she ever have headaches, colds, nervous spells, or tired feelings? Doesn't she ever take a weekend trip? Doesn't she ever sleep late on Sunday morning? Doesn't it ever rain or snow on Sunday morning? Doesn't she ever get her feelings hurt by someone in the church? The article concluded by asking, what's the matter with Mrs. Craig? The answer, nothing at all. But if we're not in church when we should be, and we can be, there's something wrong with us. We need to take a lesson from Mrs. Craig, and that is to regularly attend, having made a habit out of being with God's people to worship God on the day set aside by him in completion of a promise that I made before God and before others as well. What we need are less rationalizations and more leaders in the home who are able to say this, and you've heard me say this many, many times, but I love this. I love what it is that Joshua said. He told the people we're entering the promised land. He said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And then he said this, which every leader in every household should say. Oftentimes that's a husband or a father, but it could be a grandparent or a guardian or it could be anyone else. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And no, we're not going to debate this, this church thing every Saturday night. I don't care how tired you all are. You've had a rough week. This is something we've made a commitment to, and we will be there regularly. Secondly, Lord's Day, and closely related to it. Our church covenant asks us to make this commitment. I promise to especially set apart Sunday for corporate worship and devotion to God. I promise to especially set apart Sunday for corporate worship and devotion to God. It's reinforcing the church attendance part, but also suggesting the fact that Sunday is not Saturday too. Sunday is a different day. It is set apart. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, a lot of verses and a lot of words are used to explain this commandment to us. But here's what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day... Now, notice this. This is very, very important. It is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. We sometimes think he put it there so that we can rest, and it's good for us, and it is. But remember, first and foremost... It's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then it goes on to say what they shouldn't be doing on the Sabbath at that particular time, all of it involving working and the reason for it, because that's the day the Lord rested and that's the day the Lord blessed and made it holy. Later on, Isaiah has this to say. He says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day, Remember, this one day a week was set apart for the Lord. And he's saying, if you stop doing your pleasure and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord, and if you call that honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. Do you see the point in Exodus and Isaiah? It's the same point. This is a day for the Lord. It's incidental that it's also for us. And so he makes a point clearly here, a delight and holy day of the Lord, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. It's the Lord's day. 
Then you shall take delight in the Lord. And now, here he does, he rewards us for doing what's the right thing by him. He says, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the particular day is not important. It doesn't have to be the Sabbath. That would be on Saturday. But a day to honor the Lord is something that's very, very significant, very important for us to do. But isn't it like God to reward us for doing what he wants us to do? He says, here's a day. Here's a day that should be set apart to honor me. It's my day. And if you stop doing your own thing and honor me, then I will honor you in return. And you've heard me say this before. I made a commitment to myself in college that I was going to not play basketball any longer on Sundays. That was a commitment that I made, and I'm not suggesting everybody's got to do what I did, but that's a commitment that I made. And I found out that my legs were a whole lot more energetic and lively on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, so that when I was in college, I was able to dunk the basketball very easily on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, and then later on, it got harder and harder. For those of you that can't see the screen, there is an awesome athlete in our church, Jim, <laughs> just about to dunk a basketball. And uh, you don't see it, but Scott Lowry would have been in that picture, but he's way behind me, having been left behind by a couple of little fakes that I made for him. And Bob Neef is even farther behind than he is. Um, that is what dunking a basketball looks like, in case any of you don't know. Um, and that picture was taken this week in our gym, and no, the, uh, the rim was not lowered. However, to be perfectly honest with you, my wife was involved in some great trick photography. <laughs> and if you want to, we'll explain to you how that came about. Um, but the, the point again being, I made that commitment in college and found out that it was to my benefit, not just to the Lord's. I wanted to honor him on his day. And he honored me the whole rest of the week as a result of that. That one day off principle does help us, does work for us. But the bottom line is, to the Lord your God. Delight and holy day of the Lord to make that honorable. So we don't want to legislate all the little things. In fact, it's wrong for us to judge one another about what we do or don't do on a Sunday. But the principle is still there. The principle is there that that's the Lord's day. We set that apart for worship. This ties in again with that first promise that we've made. Attending church should certainly be a priority for the Lord's day as a bare minimum. In 450 stories from life, a man by the name of John Martin wrote that most Christians in India belong to those classes of society known as the outcasts or the untouchables. This is a picture of some of the untouchables and where they live. And if you can't see the screen, it is deplorable, the conditions that they have here. You can't even call them shacks, and you can't even say that they're well-made. Uh, it is it is something that, if, as you look at it, your heart goes out to these outcasts. And he writes, they are usually very poor people. In fact, a worker's daily wage may determine whether or not he and his family have anything at all to eat. Martin was moved by a conversation he overheard one Sunday morning. A wealthy Hindu who hired workers to farm his land asked a Christian laborer if he planned to work that day. The believer replied, My God is calling me to church and to worship. How then can I go to work for you today? God is calling me and I must obey. 
and consistent with what he said, that devoted saint was in his place of worship that morning, even though it meant great financial sacrifice. He understood how important it was, the worship of God as a top priority. This should say three. I have two on the screen by mistake, but three is devotions, the third thing that we've promised in our church covenant. I promise to be faithful in private devotions. Many of you who were here last Sunday actually placed a gift in the box that we had down here in the front of the church. And in that gift that you were giving to the Lord was a gift of more time spent praying and in personal Bible study. So you're already one step ahead with regard to this. You've given that gift to the Lord of faithfulness and Bible reading and prayer time. You placed that gift in the box last Sunday morning. Um, whether you did or didn't, we still have that resolve before us now. That church covenant, am I going to ignore that or am I going to uphold that because I did make a promise? And maybe I need to be reminded of that. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Starts out by saying, blessed is the man. That's generic. That's all of us. Blessed is everyone, man, woman, child. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So first of all, it's telling us that the person is blessed who is not allowing himself to be programmed by those who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, who are anti-Christ. Verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then it goes on to say what he's like. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Doing the right thing again has rewards. And it goes on to talk about those rewards. And it also talks about the judgments on those who don't carry this out. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Daily devotions. Is it being legalistic to say, If you want a blessing, you meditate on God's word day and night. At least daily devotions would seem to be appropriate. And remember this, our daily devotions, our time that we read the scripture, that's not a good luck charm. Reading through the Bible in a year is not reading words for the sake of checking off an accomplishment. It's not just reading the Bible and saying, I did my thing for God, now God's obligated to bless me today. It's not just reading, it's meditating, it's thinking about it. And then it's not forgetting it a few minutes later. I'm absolutely certain that there are many, many people who conscientiously, with great intentions, decide, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. Some of you have just done that. And it becomes an item to check off and to say, okay, I did this, I read my five chapters today, and I'm going to try to read my five chapters tomorrow. Five minutes after you read those five chapters, if somebody came up to you and said, what was it all about? Could you say what it was about? It's not enough to read. It's to meditate on. It's to think about. It's to apply. It's to live it out. It's not just reading, and it's not just reading and meditating, but it's also obeying. We know that from the scriptures. 
We know that it says in James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Uh, there's a picture on the screen of somebody who's had a really tough time shaving that morning. Um, he's got little pieces of toilet paper attached to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, at least seven places where he's got nicks and scrapes there. Here's what it says in James 1, 23 and 20 to 25. For if someone or if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. That's what this gentleman is doing. He's looking. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This guy doesn't want to go out into public looking like he looks right now. He doesn't want to go to the office, <coughs> excuse me, or to the classroom, or even next door looking like he looks now. The Bible says that's like the person who looks at this mirror of God's word and walks away and immediately forgets what he's seen. It would be as foolish as this guy making a public appearance looking the way that he looks right now. Verse 25 in James 1, <coughs> excuse me, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's James 1, 23 to 25. And that leads us to the next point. It kind of carries right into it, and that's obedience. Our church, cover, our church covenant tells us, I promise to strive in all things to honor my Lord and Savior by a life consistent with the Word of God. That's obedience. A life consistent with the Word of God. Many scriptures, Philippians 1.27 is one of them. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, I'm going to honor the Lord and Savior by the, a consistent life with the Word of God. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And Paul says, so whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Or Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One thing that I hope that I will never, ever hear again, and I've heard it in the past, I hope I'll never hear this again. I'll never go to Alden Union Church, somebody outside says, because I know, and they mention the name of somebody who goes here. I'll never go to Alden Union Church because I know so-and-so, and he goes to Alden Union Church. You should hear his mouth. Or if that's the way they teach their people to conduct their business at that church, then I never want to go there. Or I live next door to so-and-so, and I hear the way he screams at his wife and his kids. If that's the way people are at Alden Union Church, I don't want any part of that church. Support, a key word from our church covenant. We've promised to support the church in three vital ways. One of them, praying for its progress. Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly or be devoted to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We could go all over the, <coughs> excuse me, all over the scriptures where it tells us how important prayer is, praying for each other, praying for the work of God in this church. Contributing to its financial support. We could go all over, and I won't turn to Malachi this morning. It talks about tithing. 
There are verses in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, 1 Corinthians 15, all through the New Testament, which talk about the importance of giving, storehouse giving, bringing money to the church. And all we're asking in our church covenant is to do what the scriptures say, to support the church in prayer, financial support, and also participating in its work as God enables me. That would be serving. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, here's what it says. It says, as each has received a gift. That's every believer in Christ. Every one of you who's a believer, who's at Alden Union Church, has been given at least a spiritual gift, at least one, a spiritual gift. Not meant to puff you up, not meant for you to say, look at what I have, look what I can do but it's meant to serve the body. It's meant to be an encouragement to all the rest of us. So as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what that means? You're in an army, you've been armed and you're equipped and you're not supposed to walk away. You're not supposed to desert. You're not supposed to leave it up to others. You've been armed for battle you're to take part in that battle. That's what it means when it talks about each has received a gift. Use it. Use it for the body. The body lacks when there are those who decide there are others who do this better than I do. Find out what it is that God has gifted you to do and then do it with all of your heart. Lastly, the word priority in our church covenant. I promise to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to strive to glorify him in all that I am and all that I do. Promise to seek first the kingdom of God. Where'd we get that from? You know where we got that from. We got that from Matthew 6, 33, which says exactly that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the priority. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is a quick overview of the covenant of Alden Union Church. If you're a member of Alden Union Church, you promised that that's what you would do. This is a promise reminder to all of us today. If you're not a member of Alden Union Church, it's not copyrighted. You're welcome to use that as a reminder from Scripture of how the body works best when we're doing the things God has already called us to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word that we believe that we've encapsulated and incorporated into our church covenant. May it be a reminder to each one of us of some very, very important spiritual disciplines that will honor you, that will glorify you, and then because of your great grace will also be to our benefit. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Any kind of commitment is a matter of surrendering what we would like to do on our own and giving it up for something greater, something better. Let's stand together and sing that as we respond to what we've heard.
riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to owe this world nothing and find everything in you. Riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to all this world, nothing, and find everything in you. I surrender. Father, if the truth be known, some of us may have been inadvertently singing, I surrender some to you. If we sang that word all and we meant that, please help us 
Again, it's in dependence upon you that any resolves are ever going to come about. So help us as we've heard these words and we've seen these scriptures in dependence upon you to do everything that we can to cooperate with you. We thank you for what you'll do in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.